wanted to grab those words and uh, recognize the validity, the power of those truths. He is greater. So many people consider themselves to be, we're the greatest. We're the greatest team that's ever played. We're the greatest, uh, you know, fill in the blank, whatever. We're the greatest company. We're the greatest car you could ever drive. <laughs> it's just so foolish for us to think that anything on our, on our behalf done by us is of any worthy gratefulness. It all turns to rust and, and uh, demolishes into nothing. But Jesus is greater than all things. Thank you, worship team. Thank you. I've never heard that song. And so I was able to really focus in on those words, and I do thank you. What a wonderful Sunday night group. This is a great crowd. I had no idea how many would be here. I know that uh, uh, you as a church family are still in the process of, of getting back into uh, a system of getting uh, to, all, to, to the services, having all the services after, the, after uh, the, the COVID pandemic, and some things are happening and others are not. First time for you to have a church revival in a couple of years. And so I'm just very thankful that you're here. Thank you for doing this. Um, Pastor Mike just mentioned a moment ago that we're going to do this again tomorrow night and Tuesday night and Wednesday night. I hope that you'll plan to be here. Don't let, don't, don't be overwhelmed with the thought of three nights. I don't, man, I live in, I don't know. You know, I got to rearrange the socks in my sock drawer. You know, I, I've got to, uh, I got to work on the car. I got to, uh, I got to clip my fingernails. All the things that you can come up with that you think are of great importance that would keep you from being able to come. Hey, look, don't, don't let that happen. Just take it one service at a time. I'm glad you're here tonight, and I look forward to being with you again tomorrow night. We'll maximize our time. It's also been mentioned that I'll be privileged to preach in the morning chapels here at the Christian school. And uh, I, uh, I would, I'd, I'd appreciate it if you think about it as you're driving to work or as you're having a time of prayer in the morning or whatever. Would you just pray for that opportunity? Uh, for me to uh, be able to just not be another voice, just another chapel, and just kind of go through the routine. Pray that God would do a work in the hearts of young people here in the month of October. School has been progressing along now for several weeks, and uh, people are in a routine. It's easy to get in a routine, isn't it, of, of life. Happens to young people, happens to adults. And so uh, let's, you just pray for me and pray for the service in the morning chapels, okay? And I'd greatly appreciate it. You know what I love about a church like Mountain Avenue? What I love about it is that you provide a Christian school. But I don't miss this. There are young people that come to your church that don't go to the Christian school. I love that. You say, why? Because there are young people who go to a public school. There are young people that are homeschooled. And there are young people who go to a Christian school. When you come to a church, you are a family of all groups of people that come from uh, all the various walks and areas of life. Thank the Lord for that. And uh, I, I am grateful. I'm so glad to see these young people down here uh, this evening. And I hope they all plan to be back uh, uh, the, the following nights for our special services as well. I'm always conscious of young people in the building. I'm, very, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for a church that has a love for teenagers. I really am. Very thankful. And uh, I know that your church has always had a burden for teenagers. Now, there are groups, there are several of you here tonight, and I've met several of you before the service, that I didn't meet this morning. And I don't know if our paths didn't cross, or if you, you were maybe watching online and then you, you came here tonight. 
as a result of it or if you just weren't able to be here this morning or if I just didn't see you. I don't know, but I'm glad you're here tonight. And so when I'm finished here in three hours, I really... That was a mild giggle out of some of you. You weren't sure I was joking or not. When I'm finished here tonight, I hope to get a chance to say howdy to you before you leave, okay? And uh, I won't remember all the names and faces, but I'll do what I can. And uh, I'm very, very thankful. I really am. Glad that you came here tonight. I'm so thankful for your pastor and for your church as a whole. And uh, I, I am just thrilled for the opportunity to be with you. Hey, you know, the Apostle Peter is an interesting, interesting individual, is he not? The truth is, he was certainly a leader among the disciples. He had that quality of leadership. He had that it quality that when he came into a room, he just kind of took over. And he was very outspoken. And he was constantly, as we've said, putting his foot in his mouth, saying things that he was going to do that he didn't do. And and he was bold when later on he was a coward and... Many a, pe- many a person has said, you know, boy, yeah, 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 Peter, I can just see so much of myself in Peter in the sense that I've said things and found out that I, I wasn't able to fulfill what I wanted to fulfill and so forth. And after Jesus ascended to heaven and he left the disciples, the apostles, to fulfill the, the, the continuation of the gospel, something remarkable happened in Peter's life. What was it? He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And God, who used to be with him in the, in the form of Jesus, Jesus is God, and Jesus was near Peter when Jesus went to heaven. Jesus had made the promise, when I go to heaven, the Father will give you me, the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit, and I will be with you, and I will dwell within you. And Peter was, Peter was bold with a... Spiritual boldness because God was within him. He was wise because God was giving him wisdom. He was courageous because God was with him. And I love the two letters that he wrote. There's many other things I could draw attention to, but I want you to go to that first letter he wrote, 1 Peter. And we'll we'll turn to chapter 5 tonight. 1 Peter chapter 5. You know, the truth is, It's not so much what I have to say. You and I need the Word of God. I'm just going to do what I can, friends, in every service. I'm going to do what I can to say, here's what the Bible is saying. Here's what these words mean. You and I need these words. The fact is, we need the Bible. Did you hear that? We need the Bible. We need the truth of the Scriptures. Now, my delivery will be different than uh, Pastor Sidlowski or Pastor Moyer or any other preacher you may have. I may talk differently. I may use certainly different passages and so forth. You know, God uses all of that, and that's fine. But what we all need is the explanation of the Word of God. And I'm going to do what I can to just simply say, here's what the Bible is saying. And it's imperative it is, it is crucial, it's important, friends, that we get the, uh, the, uh, the setting. 
I feel like I'm in, I can still hear my literature teachers. I hate to turn this into a classroom setting, but it's important. Our literature teachers, when I was a kid growing up, and if you're a literature teacher, a grammar and literature teacher, you know this is true. When you're telling a story, you always talk about the setting, the backdrop. What, what was going on when this story is taking place? Well, what was going on when Peter wrote this letter? Well, I'll tell you what was going on. Are you watching this? He was living, he was he was speaking to God's people during the time of Caesar Nero. Nero was a nut. He was crazy. He was a, he was a profligate. He was a, he was a wicked guy. And much of Rome despised him. But you know, when you were the Caesar, you could just do anything you wanted to. I mean, he killed his own mother because he didn't want her telling him what to do. And he got by with it. I mean, he... he uh, he got rid of uh, uh, one wife so he could get another wife. I mean, he put her off to, in the distance. I forget where he sent her off to, but I mean, he was, just, he was just a bizarre guy. And he had this insatiable desire to build buildings. He loved construction projects. And he wanted to build buildings. And when the, the city of Rome was just packed with, with structures of businesses and, and re- palaces, Castles, uh, big structures where wealthy people lived in, and then the commoner and their common homes, and and uh, and then the businesses of all stripes and types were there. I mean, it was all filled with businesses. Kind of picture America, would you? Just picture it. Roman Empire. It was massive. When he ran out of space to build buildings, you know what he did? Uh, many people believe he was the one responsible for the burning down of much of Rome. The burning of Rome took place for seven days. And then finally there was a respite. And then it picked up again and burned for three more days. Ten solid days in which structures were destroyed. Well, Rome was destroyed. Castles were burnt down. Homes were burnt down. Businesses were destroyed. Businesses of all sorts. I mean, it was terrible. But afterwards, Nero built a huge palace for himself. And taking up some of the space where many of the buildings used to stand. And so therefore people believe that Nero was the one responsible for burning down of Rome. And, the, and a, 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 a play, a, an artist of writing plays described that Nero played his fiddle. Uh, not real sure if he really did that while Rome was burning, but it is true that he, he would just, he sang a song and he was very flippant and laissez-faire while Rome was burning. Okay. And when all the Roman citizens turned against the government, I know, of course, we, we don't have anything like that in our day, of course, you know, but I mean, uh, when, when all of the, the Roman citizens were furious with their leader and they jumped on him, uh, uh, Nero, with a desire to not take the responsibility, of course, we're so grateful that people in government have changed and, and they take the responsibility today. We understand that. And uh, uh, in order to deflect his responsibility, you know what he did? He, he said, uh, oh, it's not me. It wasn't me that burnt down the buildings. <clears throat> It was these Christian people. They're the ones who are causing havoc. They're the ones who are causing problems. These Christ followers. And then persecution against the Christians really begin to rise. Now I'm, kind of, I'm just giving you the backdrop. 
And, and, and they, in their amphitheaters and in their, in their uh, uh, centers of entertainment, they would throw Christians into the wild beast and wild animals hungry uh, with the blood of man would attack these Christians. And, and Christians would be lit aflame and, and placed up on post so that they could have night games. With that backdrop, Peter tells his, his friends, he pens this letter. And it's in this letter that he says to them, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice, inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. It's as if Peter could feel the underground church and it was an underground church. It, they had to kind of meet in secret places for fear of their life. It's as if Peter was saying, I know, you don't know. Will you be next? Will you be martyred? Will you be killed? Will your family be kidnapped? I know, you're frightened. But he was trying to comfort them. And in what we call chapter 5 of his first letter, he says to them in verse 5, Likewise, you younger Ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Now, why do he say that? Because in the time of franticness, sometimes you, you get so frantic, you don't, you don't see your position of putting yourself under authority. He says, submit yourself uh, unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. In other words, care for one another and put yourself in a position of proper uh, relationship with people. And be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him. For he careth for you. Now be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a, as a roaring lion, walks about, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, Make you perfect. Establish. Strengthen. Settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. My wife Lynn and I travel together all over America and actually even outside of the continental United States in ministry. And uh, most of the time we are together. I wish that she could be with me again this week, but she's uh, about to go take care of some grandkids. And so you under, if you're a grandparent, you understand. Be with my husband or be with grandkids. Not really an option. And so, no, it's the truth is the family needed her there, so she's going to go be with them. Years ago, when we lived in the Midwest, we lived in Indiana at the time, I was preaching in the summer months uh, at uh, Christian camps. Now, in the summer, I'm thankful for the opportunity to go across the nation and preach at teen camps. 
And uh, I, but there's no real rhyme or reason as to the, the scheduling. I may get asked to preach one week in North Carolina, and the next week I'll be up in Michigan. The following week may be out here in California at another camp. The next week back in Wisconsin. The next week up in New Hampshire. I mean, these, these youth camps are all over the country. So I do a lot of flying in the summertime. If I can drive, I'll drive to these meetings and that sort of thing. Well, my wife and I decided several years ago that maybe in the summer months to give her a little bit of physical break uh, for her just to stay home for those two, two and a half months at the most, uh, usually about two months, she just stay at home and work on a home project, work on some particular project at the house, you know, uh, and, 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 and just uh, kind of catch up on uh, physical rest and so forth. And when I'm po- able to do so, I would fly home to our home and see her over the weekend and then jump on another plane and go to the next camp. That's the way we'd worked it out. I was out here in California at a camp and uh, I was getting ready to go preach one morning when my wife called me. She was working (coughs) on some projects in our house. She was going to paint a room and she was actually going to make some drapes uh, for one of the rooms as well. And so she she had a, a window of time to get it all done and she called me. She said, Morris, we got a problem. I said, what is it? She said, my car. Something's wrong with my car. Now, she had a, we always have a second car at the house for her to use whenever uh, she's at home. I said, well, what's wrong with it? And she says, it's making a horrible sound. Now, I will confess, and I'm probably going to turn in my man card after this. I'm not a mechanic. I don't know anything about, uh, I mean, about the only thing I know when a car breaks down is where is the local mechanic? I mean, I don't know anything else what to do usually. So I said, well, what kind of a sound is it making? And she began to tell me, and she says, it's making this scratching, squawking, uh, uh, terrible sound. And I said, so when you were backing out, it was, it was kind of scraping sound? She goes, yeah. I said, now, okay, is it, it's not underneath the hood, is it? She said, no, it's like it's out around by the wheels, the front wheels. Now, I happened to figure that one out. I said, I know what that is. I said, I think you need brake pads. I said, it's, it's, uh, the pads are wearing thin. I said, that, I know what that is. I said, now, look, I said, it sounds horrible, but you, you can probably run up, to, up the road uh, eight to ten miles to the local mechanic and, uh, and just tell them that you need some brake pads. And I said, and she said, no, she said, if you could only hear it. She said, I'm scared. What if I break down between here and there and you're not here to help me? And I said, no, I don't want that to happen. That's true. I said, sure. And so she says, what am I going to do? She said, there's a sale at, at Sherwin-Williams Paint Store. Now, ladies, you know you know how important a sale is. I got to get there. And I said, yeah, I know. I understand that. And I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. She said, I got to get, I got to get there. What am I going to do? I said, I don't know. I said, let me think about it. And I said, finally, I just said, you know, I said, I can't, I can't talk to you and think what I need to do. Look, look, folks, I'm never at home. It's the strangest thing. We call a place our home, but I'm rarely at the house. I mean, I'm hardly at home. I'm gone 45, 46 weeks out of every year. It's crazy. And so I said, I I don't know. I don't know mechanics. I don't know anybody by name as to, I know, uh, at my home church or anything. I don't know. I said, let me think about it. And I said, let me, let's hang up and I'll call you back. So I hung up. And I thought, I've got two sons and they're right there in Indianapolis uh, nearby 
But one of them is uh, working at a church. He's, he's a youth pastor. The other one is a businessman. He works at, a, at an enterprise in town, uh, uh, a manufacturing enterprise. And I said, and they both have crazy schedules. And they've gotten too much of their dad in them. They don't know much about fixing cars. And I thought that either their schedule or their own abilities are going to limit them. Well, quick story. Let me tell it a lot more quicker than this. I thought, I, I can't call my boys. They can't help. So I don't know what to do. Finally, I thought, I don't know who else to talk to. So I called my son who had a job in town. And I, and I said, he'll probably not answer his phone. And lo and behold, he answered his phone. I said, hey, kid. I said, man, I'm glad. Thank you for answering. I said, listen. I said, and I explained to him the situation with his mom. And I said, I don't know what to do. And I don't even know why I'm calling you. But I said, uh, I just thought I'd take a shot at it and see if you happen to have some kind of suggestion. He said, dad, I got it. I, I'll take care of it. I said, no, son. I said, you got to understand. There's a sale on at Sherwin-Williams. I said, mom needs to get there now. And I said, and, I, and you're at work. And I said, I don't need you to take care of her sometime this week. It's, he goes, dad. He said, I can take care of mom. He said, I'm on break. He says, I'm going on break. He said, I'll drive my car over to mom right now. I'll drive her car back here to the shop. And he said, she can use my car as much as she wants to. I'll drive her car back. He said, I got three mechanics that work for us here at the, at, the, uh, at the company. And he said, on lunch break, we'll take the wheels apart and we'll see what parts she needs. I'll go buy the brake pads. I said, you're going to buy the brake pads? He said, yeah. I said, who is this and what have you done with my son? I said, you're going to pay for it. He goes, Dad, I'll take care of it. And he said, seriously, he said, I'll, I'll take care. And he goes, we'll have it repaired and get it back to mom before the day is out and we can get our cars back together. And I said, so you're going to let her have uh, uh, your car? Y yes, Dad. I said, I'll, I, I'll go take care of it right now. I'll go do it right now. I'm on break. I've got a limited time. I'll take care. Now, men, you understand this. The husband in me and the father in me still... I'm out here in California, I'm 2,000 miles away from my home, but I'm still wanting to help somehow. I'm wanting to, uh, to somehow or another be a part of the solution, you know? And I said, well, okay, kid, I said, uh, oh, let me ask you, I said, uh, what, what do you need me to do? What, 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 can, what can I do? I'll never forget his answer. It was a classic. He said, Dad, here's what I need you to do. I said, what? He said, hang up the phone. That's what I need you to do. He said, I can't call mom and tell her that I'm on the way to take care of her. She's worried about it. He goes, I can take care of her if we'll just hang up. He said, Dad, you go do what you do. You go preach. You study. You go do what you do at camp. He said, I'll take care of mom. He said, Dad, you gave it to me. I'll take care of it. Now, with that in mind. The only reason I told that story was to help us all to understand a verse that we just read a moment ago that you, you could almost quote it to me because you've heard it so many times. I want you to think about it again and listen to Peter and what he said to people like you and me and hear it for the, as if you were hearing it for the first time. Look at verse 7. He said, Casting all your care Upon him, for he careth for you. It's as if Peter was saying, your cares, why are you living with them? Give them back to him.
Just like my son said, Dad, just go on. I'll take care of it. The Lord says to his people, I've got you. I've got your cares. Quit trying to solve everything on your own. Give it back to me. Would you like to live without worry? You say, are you, are you going to preach on worry? Don't worry about it. The truth is, most of us are experts at fearfulness, franticness, anxiousness. Do any of these words describe you? Stressed, frantic, fearful, disturbed, depressed, sad, anxious. God's word is trying to tell us as his people, hear me tonight. He's trying to tell us that you can live an anxious, free life. Peter was writing to people who were going through extreme persecution. Hear me. He was talking to people who did not know what the future held. Do you? He was writing to people that were going through severe trials and testing. Financial, emotional, relational, government-controlled, painful trials and tests of life. And he says, quit letting it get the best of you. Casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. You know, we, we come into this world frantic. I mean, babies cry because they're afraid they're not going to get food. And they, and they, they want everything to go their way. And, they complain. <laughs> and when you're a child, you can't wait to get older. Why? Because you're troubled with the, with the problems that you're suffering with at recess in the third grade, you know? And you can't wait till you get older. Well, and then you become a teenager, and then you get frantic about, about not being able to get a car uh, by the age of 15 and a half, you know. I mean, you, you're, just, you're, just, you're just wanting life to be easier. And it seems like the whole time you're growing up, you wish that you were older. I can't wait till I get older. I can't wait till I, be on my, I, can't wait till I become an adult. This is, what, this is what many of you thought when you were a, a kid. I can't wait till I get older. I tell you what, I'm going to stay up till midnight when I get older. I'm going to eat ice cream at midnight if I want to when, when I get older. What happens is when you get older, you, you start going to bed about 9.30. You start saying, you're saying I'm, I'm so exhausted, I don't even want to stay up. And then when you become an adult, you know what you do? You start watching children running around the church building, running around with all kinds of energy. And here's what you think. Boy, those were the days, weren't they? Man alive, that was such an easy life back in those days. And we never seem to be content with where we are. We can't enjoy life. Why? Uh, because there's always a bill. You're not sure how you're going to pay for it. There's always some project at school or at work that is pressing upon you. That it's like it's, it won't, it, it, it just can't be accomplished. I don't think I can fulfill it. There's always a leak in the roof or an appliance that won't work. There's always a need for tires on a car. There's always shoes that need to be put on your children because the others are, they're growing out of them. There's always something that is causing great stress. 
So I was sitting in a doctor's office three years ago. Three and a half now. And after all the tests and after all the x-rays and after all the biopsies, biopsy, singular, after the MRIs, I heard for the first time the word cancer. And the doctor said, you have cancer. And I went into immediate denial. I said, no, I got to go preach. I got responsibilities. This is my life. I don't have any salary. I don't have anything else to do. This, this is what I do. I don't have time for this. I said, can we just have a surgery? And you remove whatever you see and let's go on? He said, no, it's not the way we address it. And my life came to a screeching halt. And for all of 2018, you think 2020 was a disturbing year. When 2020 came along, it was like piece of cake after going through cancer treatments in 2018. I'm not minimizing COVID. All the chemo infusions, after all the radiation, after the, after the stem cell bone marrow transplant and the days in the hospital, after all those situations, I found myself reading things in the scripture and seeing things in the Bible that I, I had heard and I'd seen before, but now all of a sudden I, had a, I found myself being anchored, clinging to certain passages and finding my security in the truth of the word of God. And there's one verse that sits in front of us tonight is the verse that I'm saying to us tonight, anchored my soul, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. You know, Peter is saying, first of all, there's an inevitable reality. What is it? Well, look at verse 7. Casting all your care. Stop right there. Peter did not say, for those of you who are reading this letter, understand that you may have cares. There are some of you who are receiving this letter. You won't have cares. But just give me a few moments with those people who will struggle with cares. And let me say something. That's not what he's saying. What's he saying? He's saying every single one of you. It is inevitable. You're going to have cares. It's an inevitable reality. Now, what's a care to this person sitting next to you or near to you? It might not be a care to you. It might not be something if it came to you, it'd be like, that's not a big deal. But it's a big deal to them. But what you may be going through may not be that big to them, but it's huge to you. But the point is, we all have cares. What's the word care mean? It's the word anx anxiousness. It's the word, it's the word anxiety. Friends, can I tell you, it's, it's the picture of something which pulls at you at all kinds of directions. 
I happened to glance at a football game just briefly before I passed out this afternoon. And uh, I, I watched these running backs, and the camera just gets right up on them. These running backs that go right through the middle of a, a hunk of humanity. All these men who weigh about, you know, uh, 285 pounds, and they all can lift about the, this building. I mean, I mean, they just are huge, strong men. And almost everybody is pulling for this individual. Someone's trying to get the ball out of his arm, and somebody else is trying to bring him, they're all trying to put him down, and they're all pulling at him in all kinds of uh, directions. And he's being pulled in all kinds of positions and so forth. And I I thought about this tonight. What is a care? It's the idea of being pulled in every direction. It's like someone being on one side of you and somebody else being on the other side of you. And you just can't keep up with all the pressures and all the stresses of life. The idea there is a churning. It is being unsure. Hear me. Of where is everything going? I don't understand. You come up close to the Bible and you hear me. Life is filled with times in which you don't know where things are going. For further reference, go ask Job. He didn't have a clue what was happening when you read his book. You don't have a clue. Joseph didn't have a clue when he was being <clears throat> sold off into slavery down in the land of Egypt by his brothers. He didn't have a clue. Where is everything going? The children of Israel came up to the Red Sea and they didn't have any idea. What are we supposed to do? I don't know where things are going. You and I are going to always have Red Sea experiences. I don't know what to do. I don't know where, I don't know how to, I don't know how to solve this. Peter is talking about an inevitable reality. You're going to have cares. If you're listening to this sermon tonight and you think that I'm going to somehow or another present this truth and tell you, you'll never have another burden in life. No, you're not listening. You're going to have cares. There's a purpose behind cares. Look down at verse, uh, look down at verse uh, 10 once again. And Paul, Peter said, The God of all grace who has called us unto His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, He will make you perfect. Now that doesn't mean without flaw. The idea there is more complete. He will, he will take you to another level. He will make you perfect perfect spiritually he'll make you improved and he says and he will establish the idea there is a security it's your feet are secure underneath you you won't be stumbling there will be an establishment to your life and he says and he will strengthen the idea there is being spiritually strong to be able to say no to temptation and to be able to speak up for God and there'll be a boldness to your life and then he will hear it settle you there'll be a calmness now, folks, don't miss the point tonight. Peter is not saying, oh, you'll never have cares again. No, he's saying it's inevitable. You're going to have cares. Are you going through a trial tonight? I love the Lord's Day, don't you? I love Sundays. It seems like we just somehow know that we put aside some of the stresses of life. When we come to church on Sundays and we, we just kind of catch our breath and we just kind of, oh, Monday's coming. Here it comes, all the stress. But no, for today, I just want to live without stress. And somehow or another tonight, maybe you don't have a lot of stress. But as you really are honest with yourself, you know there's some pressures on your life right now. 
It may be within a relationship at home. It may be something you've got to face at work or at school tomorrow. It could be something that's going on inside of you physically. And you're going through some hardship and you just don't know, what, what is the Lord doing? I don't understand. Listen to me. You don't have to understand. You and I don't live on explanations. Tell me, God, why are you doing this? We don't live by explanations. We live on revelation. Cast all your care upon him. Trust me. God says, I'm developing something here in the dark. Photographers always take uh, those uh, photos and they, they go into a dark room to, to pull out a beautiful portrait, a beautiful picture of something. But they have to go in the dark room first. And you may be in the dark room right now. I don't know what's being developed. No, you don't know. But God's developing something. Sometimes I find that cares come into people's lives. Our care sometimes comes because of our past. Something was done to you in your past. And you're still dragging it along in life. Something was done to you when you were a kid. Something was done to you a long time ago. Something was done to you a few weeks ago. I mean, something, something broke your heart. Something affected you emotionally. Something really, really got you. Something's in your past. Now, some of you live your life with the idea of, oh, if only, if only, if only, if only I hadn't taken that first drink. Man, if only I hadn't gotten involved with that website. Ugh. If only I hadn't gone to that school. If only I hadn't joined the military. If only I hadn't taken that job. If only I hadn't been born in that family. If only, if only. And you spend your whole life, here it is, spend your whole life dragging the past into day-to-day -day life. I've talked to people, and they've shared some hardship and heartache and sorrow, and, and I think to myself, oh my, this is, whew, I want to help this person. And I'll say, my friend, when did this happen? And I'm thinking they're going to tell me, you know, a couple of months ago or something. And that person will say, um... Let's see here, uh, it's been about 15 years ago. 15 years ago? And you're still dragging that thing along? Sometimes it's the past that becomes a care in your life. We're not supposed to live like that. Paul said, as I read this morning in the book of Philippians, forgetting those things which are behind and pressing on. Sometimes I found that it's the past. Sometimes I find that it's the present. The cares of life come from today. Yeah, 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 yeah. How am I going to get everything done? I got so many things to do today. Oh, I got a list that is from here to Albuquerque. I don't know if I'm going to get everything done. I just don't know. I, I, and, and we live our life just filled with stress. I'm, I, I'm, just, I'm just not real sure I'm going to be able to do all this. And, and you get up early in the morning and you try to get everything done all day long. And you live in a state of tension and you make everybody else around you tense and, and enslaved to your anxiousness. There was a friend in the Bible, a friend of Jesus. Her name was Martha. She was a good lady. She really was. She was a friend of Jesus. She fed Jesus. She and her sister Mary and her brother Lazarus allowed Jesus to stay there frequently. But Martha was an anxious person. And one time she was busy fretting around the house and in the kitchen trying to make something to eat. And Jesus, 
She, she even rebuked Jesus because she wasn't thinking straight of, because of her present concerns. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, chill. Now that's hidden in the Greek language, but I think that's what he said. Tap the brakes, Martha. Look at Mary sitting here at my feet in a state of peace. Relax. Don't allow today's present concerns snatch away a sense of God's got this. Sometimes it's the past. Sometimes it's the present. You know where we're going. And then sometimes it's the, you want to say future, don't you? You got to think like a preacher. You got to get an outline going here that's alliterated. I don't know why we do this. The past, the present, and the possibilities. Okay, I, it, you're, it is the future. We fret about, oh man, oh man. Uh, what, what if, what if my husband dies before I do? Some lady gets to worried about that. What, what, if, um, what if we lose our job? What if I fail geometry again? Uh, uh, wh- what if, what, what if, uh, what if the car doesn't start? What if, what if that law, what if that law gets passed? They keep threatening that they're going to pass that law. What, what if it, what if, what if they do? What if that person gets elected? They probably did. Uh, what, what if, what if these things go wrong? What am I going to do? And we, we get all torn up about the future, about what if of life. A lady came to her pastor one day and she said, Pastor, I know you've told us to not do this, but I've discovered that if I worry about the future, I think it really helps. He said, oh, no, ma'am, no, no, it does. She goes, yeah, I think it does. She said, because I've discovered most of the things I worry about never happen. And so she says, I think it must help if I worry about it. He goes, no, no, it doesn't help at all. Worrying doesn't change anything except maybe the lining in your stomach. Are you a worrier? Jesus himself said, take no thought about tomorrow. You'll ha- Listen, you'll have enough strength and grace for tomorrow's burdens and concerns. It's an inevitable reality. Quickly, quickly. Number two, there is the instant response. You say, what's that? Well, look at verse 7 again. You still got 1 Peter 5, 7 in front of you? What's the very first word? Casting. Casting all your care. Now, folks, the word casting here, Peter understood the word cast because he cast nets of, of out into the Sea of Galilee uh, to bring in fish. He knew what it was, but the word casting here, don't miss this, is the word that means to be thrown, catch this, with urgency. It's the idea of casting with not just urgency, it's the idea of casting with hurriedness. With a great energy. Look, I love baseball. And when I was a kid, I loved to play infield. My dad always worked at me to try to play shortstop. I just loved shortstop. I loved it. And I always had this fear when I was playing shortstop that that batter, if he was fast, he might beat me to the first, ba- to first base before I could get the ball out of my glove, into my hand, and throw it quickly over to the first baseman. Look, when you're playing in the infield, you, just, you, don't, you, don't, you don't sit there and take that ball and just kind of lollygag a little rainbow throw over to first base. No, I mean, you just, you cast it as quick as you can. That's the picture here. 
What is the instant response when I recognize the inevitable reality? I have a care. What's the first thing I should do? Call somebody? Say, oh man, I'm really going through it. Grab my phone. You can't believe what I'm struggling with. Emoji, emoji, send. My instant response should be, God, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what you're doing. But I know you're doing something. I I cast it back to you. My son said to me, Dad, just hang up the phone. I don't need you anymore. I don't need you to try to help me solve this. I got it. I'll take care of Mom. I'll go take care of her. You You go on and preach. I'll take care of it. The songwriter wrote it. All your anxiety, all your care, bring to the mercy seat. Leave it there. Never a burden he cannot bear. Never a friend like Jesus. I was in a car wreck years ago. I was sitting in the passenger seat and the guy driving, we were trying to get to the airport and the car he was driving, we hit black ice. Do you know what black ice is? I mean, it's a slick spot. You can't really see it. And we were crossing a bridge and his car, literally like a ping pong ball, began to pound back and forth from side to side. And we hit the railings on either side of that, uh, of that bridge. At one point, it was happening so quick. Uh, literally, when we came over to one side, I looked outside my window and I could see if this, if this barrier, if this railing doesn't hold us in, we're, it's, it's a certain death. There's no question about it. As we pounded back and forth. I mean, it happened so very, very quickly. Maybe you've experienced a similar situation. You know something at a time like that? You know, you know what I did? <laughs> I cast my care upon the Lord. You know what I did? I, I, didn't, I didn't say, now God, God, Lord of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Rehoboam and Jeroboam and all the Boam boys. I ask of thee that thou please intercede at this particular... No, I'll tell you exactly what I did. I just screamed out, Lord, Help! I was casting my care. I, did, I saw immediately there was nothing else I could do. And he did. He protected us. And we were able to walk away with very minor scratches. You know, when it comes to cares of life, we don't understand what the Lord is doing. Some of you love to live maybe in a state of stress. You want people to recognize, boy, you're under a lot of stress. Or is there anything I can do for you? Oh, no, I'm just trying to get everything done. And you've, you live with the weight of the world in your countenance. And there's wrinkle upon wrinkle in your face. And there's, oh, I just don't know. I just don't know how I'm going to get it all done. I'm just not real sure. It's just so hard. You know, the truth is, we ought to be living a life in such a way that people ought to recognize, man, there's something very joyful and relaxing and peaceful about you. Why is that? It's because I don't, I'm not going to carry the cares of life. I'm going to just keep casting them on him. Lord, help. Don't get bitter. Recognize he's doing something. I don't know what he's doing. Now, it's easy to stand up here and talk about it. It's another thing to remember it when you're going through it. My mom used to work with needle craft and some kind of little cross stitch and she'd be working with something. She'd be sitting in her chair 
And I'd be down on the floor playing with my baseball cards and, and getting them organized in various ways and so forth. And I'd look over there and all I saw were strings hanging out underneath this piece of, of uh, fabric that my mom was working with. And being the loving son that I was, I just looked up at all that ugly strings and I said, Mom, that looks ugly. And my mom would say, well, you don't know what I'm doing. And I'd say, well, no, I don't know what you're doing, but it sure is ugly. And she'd say, why don't you stand up and come over here and stand next to me? I stand up and I'd go over there and I'd look. And all of a sudden I'd look at it from her viewpoint. Oh, look at there. There's a butterfly. Or there's a, there's a mountain range. Oh, look at, look at that river flowing there between the mountains. Mom, did you do that? Yeah, you couldn't see it down there from your vantage point. There have been times I've looked up and I've said, Lord, I don't know what you're doing. I don't understand. It sure is ugly. It's painful. I don't get it. And the Lord says, you don't know what I'm doing. I'm designing something in you that you're going to need. And the number one thing we need to understand is the inevitable reality. You're going to have cares. The instant response, cast them. Just take them back to him and don't carry them yourself. And there's one final thing, and that's this. Why should I cast my cares on him? Well, he tells you. Finally, there's the incredible reason. The incredible reason why I cast my cares on him. Look at verse 7 again. Casting all your cares upon him. Why? For he careth for you. A couple of yous very kindly, sweetly, graciously said to me in the back or here this morning, We've prayed for you. How are you doing? How are you getting along? And I was privileged to say I've been in remission for three years now. My doctors are very, very pleased with what they see. The Lord's evidently just going to give me another chance to keep at it. I'm glad. You know, it just helps to know. Are you with me? It just helps to know somebody cares. While going through what I went through, I can't tell you how many emails, texts, letters, phone calls, and probably a lot more that I don't even know took place. People who prayed for me and just wanted me to know it. It just helps to know somebody cares. Where I can't tell you the ultimate one who cares is right here. He cares for you. Now, I don't know if you're going through something tonight. But just keep going to bed at night. Keep getting up in the morning. It just takes one phone call. And your world collapses. It just takes one. It just takes uh, one task at school or at work that's beyond your seeming ability. It just takes one doctor's report. It just takes one car accident. It just takes one sorrowful event in your life. And you feel as if my world will never be the same. I remind you, he cares for you. I'm not a Greek scholar. I don't often do this. In fact, I rarely do this. But I want you to see this tonight. When it says he careth for you, 
Can I tell you something? And just hear me out. Don't think I'm trying to be impressive because I'm not. It's written in the present tense. And in the active voice and in the indicative mood, you say, well, wow, wow, wow. No, 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 no. There's a reason. The present, when it says, when I say it's written in the present tense, it means this. His care for you, don't miss this, it's happening. Ready? Right now. Right now. In the active voice, it means simply that it's not hypothetical. This is not ethereal. This is not some airy, light little, oh, let me give you some little pie in the sky statement. He cares for you. Oh, hang on to, no, 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 no. It is real. It's as solid as anything you have found to be solid in your life. And in the indicative mood means it will always be true. It's happening right now. It's rock solid. And it always will be. Okay, that's the Greek. Let me give you the Texan version. All right? God cares for you. He always has. And he always will. You say, but I don't feel like he cares. Then you tell your feelings to take a hike. Because your feelings aren't in charge. Anchor yourself in this truth. You say, but it seems like everything I've done has collapsed. It seems like everything I try to do, it just, it won't take fruition. And it just seems like it, it's not... It's not going the way I want it to go. He cares for you. He cares for you. Keep casting all your care upon him. He's never stopped caring for you. He didn't get distracted and got busy with somebody else and he didn't have time for you because you're out of his vision. He never stops caring for you. By the way, when it says here, casting all your cares, the word cares is in the plural, (coughs) which means All of your cares, even the things that you would consider in some cases to be kind of simplistic. All of your cares, it's in the plural. And it says, he careth for you, that's in the singular. Which, here's the way way I know how to put it. It means this, he cares for you, 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 and you, and you, and you, and you. you. If you're in the habit of writing in the margin of your Bible, you could write your name right over there. He cares for Morris. He cares for me. He cares for you. As a little boy, one night my mom thought she heard somebody breaking into our home. I think I've told that story here before. It's kind of a funny one as I look back on it. I was a little five or six-year-old boy. My dad was not home at the time. He came home later. We ran to neighbors' houses, and uh, we called the police. The police uh, came and went through our house, and they came back and said to my mother, Mrs. Gleiser, it doesn't look like anybody uh, is, nobody's in your home. Uh, but the back door was unlocked and open, but um, nobody's there. My mom thought she heard someone breaking in. It scared her. And so me and my sister and my mom ran to the neighbors. I was frightened. Think about it. Little five, six-year-old boy hearing for the first time someone was maybe coming in to hurt us, steal from us. Frightening me. Dad finally showed up. We, told, we called him over to the neighbors, and, and Dad walked across the street and went through the house he went back to, into our house. I thought, my daddy's the bravest man in the world. Went through the house and looked around. Came back and he, he said, all right, everything's good and clear. Let's go home. 
And I said, go home. I don't know if I ever want to go inside that house again. Just, just give me my ball glove. And I, and I, mean, I, and I, I'm, I don't want to go. And he said, son, let's go home. Everything's good. I remember walking across that dark street. I clung to my dad's pant leg as we walked across the street. And we walked inside. I, I was asking dad, dad, did you look underneath every bed? Every bed, did you look? Because he could be hiding underneath the bed. He said, I did, son. Nobody's underneath any bed. I said, did you look in every closet? You know, closets are important to children. I said, did you look inside every closet? I did, son. There's nobody in any closet. And then we walked inside the house and my dad said, all right. It's time to go to bed. Go to bed? Oh, there'll be no sleeping tonight. We'll all sit up in the house prepared for any, any kind of danger that might come our way, you know. My dad said, son, don't worry. Just go to bed. Go to sleep. I couldn't go to sleep. I laid in my bed and my eyes were bugged out. I, I, I remember, folks, I didn't even want to blink. I tried my best not to blink. I remember this. I didn't want to blink because I was afraid that in that moment of a blink, somebody would be right there on me in that brief moment, you know. It's funny what you think of when you're a little kid. I was scared. And at night, when I was laying in that bed, scared to death, looking right from my bed into the hallway, all of a sudden I heard someone walking down the hall. And then the light came on. And then standing right in front of my door was my dad. And he stood there in front of my room and he, he looked around the house and From that vantage point, my dad couldn't even see all around the house, but he knew he had a troubled son. He was trying to give him comfort. He looked around the house. It sure was good to see dad was still awake. He walked on back down to his room, and after a while, I guess 30 or so minutes passed, and he came walking back down the hall again, and he stood right in front of my room. He looked around the house. He probably looked inside to see if I was awake, and I was. I was still wide awake. He walked back down to his room. And then the third time he came back, third time he came back, he was carrying a baseball bat. I had mixed emotions at that point. I thought, I wish somebody would break in, man. I'd love to see my dad tear into somebody with that bat, man. Can I tell you something? Next thing I knew... It was morning. My, my mind recognized, Dad's wide awake. Why should I be worried? Dad's watching. I'm sure Dad finally went to sleep, but he was trying to give his scared boy the idea, you don't need to be fearful. I got it. And I slept. So I sat in my room upstairs of our house and I read, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And I said, Okay, God, you want me to have cancer if you're through with me? Okay. I'll anchor myself on that truth. 
And I'm just going to rest in you. And I can tell you that most of those days, in all of 2018, I found myself living with a sense of calmness. Why? Because I'm a great Christian. Far from it. I didn't want to leave my wife. I didn't want to leave my kids and my grandkids. I didn't want to stop doing what I'm doing like here tonight. But I said, God, I'm casting it on you. And there I will be anchored. Because I know you're doing something. I don't know what it is. But I'm resting in you. I don't know what you may be going through tonight. I don't know what you may face tomorrow. But God knows that you, you need help. God knows you need a new roof on your house. He knows you need new shoes for your kids. He knows you need $50 or more for a tank of gas. He knows that you don't know how you're going to pay that bill at the doctor's office or some electric bill. He knows. So just cast it on Him because He cares for you. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray for these, my friends. And I pray that you'll help each one of us, even those who tonight are not going through a hardship. Would you please help them to see that this truth is here for them. And that there's no need to be living in fearful worry, anxiety, and depression. But to rest in the confidence that you've got it. No matter what's going on in our world around us that we're confused about or within us that we don't understand. <laughs> Help us, Lord, to recognize that whatever care comes was sent by you so that we can get to know you better. Encourage your people tonight. Our heads are bowed. Right there where you're seated tonight, can I, can I do something that's a bit different? Normally we stand and we start an invitation, and I love that, and I'll do it the rest of the week probably. Normally I will encourage people to find a place to get on their knees to pray or to pray at their seat. But tonight I'm going to ask you to do this because I don't know at what stage of some issue you may be going through right now. Maybe that everything is fine right now, and I'm, I'm glad but you've lived long enough to know that cares are coming. Or it may be tonight that you're going through a care that you can't even verbalize. So right there where you sit, <laughs> in a moment I'm going to ask our pianist to begin to play. Lori, she's going to play in a moment. And I'm going to encourage you right there where you sit to say, God, I'm going to, I'm trying, I want to cast my care upon you right now. God, would you please solve this family problem? Lord, would you please help this physical issue? Lord, would you take care of this relationship issue? Lord, would you help me to get these projects done? Oh, God, would you pay this bill? Oh, God, whatever it is. And how many they may be, would you take it to him? And then, friend, would you pray this prayer? Lord, please give me a revival this week. Refresh, strengthen my life spiritually and then when you're finished praying it shouldn't take long at that point just stand up we're kind of we're going in an opposite direction when you're through praying just stand up 
If the person next to you prays longer than you, don't feel guilty. It's not a contest to see who can pray longer. Just stand up when you're finished. If the person next to you prays briefer than you, don't feel rushed. You finish your prayer and then stand up. You say, preacher man, do I have to pray? Of course not. I'm not here making you pray. I'm just taking, making an assumption that you understand tonight this passage fits you wherever you may be. And when you're through praying, just stand up. It shouldn't take long. And then your pastor, whenever he sees fit, will conclude. He'll come and conclude in prayer. I'll pray quickly. Lori will begin to play. You take time. You, you give that care to the Lord and ask the Lord to give you a personal revival and then stand up. Father, help your people tonight to do the right thing. May they find the comfort and care that you alone give. We ask it in your blessed name. Take the time. It's there for you.